Hey guys, it's Jay again. How's everybody doing out there? Well, we have another episode that's just too good to not rush out. So we're skipping the um, Zoom catch up to get this episode with Chris P out. Uh, Whether you're a fan of animation or not, you will definitely be a fan of this episode. Uh, I hope you're all doing well, taking care of yourselves. Thank you very much. Excuse me, I'm a, I'm trying to do a podcast. Excuse me. No, Sophie, Sophie. As always, thanks to Treckle. Remember, Treckle is shipping now, and using the promo code SD20 will get you ten percent off any item but especially the Tony Cerni limited edition brush set. Don't forget to visit treckle.com and enjoy this episode. Thanks so much. Trying to get Chris's. Oh wait, I see his mic now. I think it worked. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you. Right on. What's up? What's going on? (laughs) What's up, man? Been a while. Yeah, man. I don't. I mean, probably last time I saw you, we were fucking hurling, like crumpled up paper Paper at each other. People. Yeah. (laughs) That was good times, man. Sent to the uh, producer's office. Yeah, exactly. So like, you guys are not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> we now got I MTV. Be, now like... I got to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about those times when we'd get sent into the office, they'd be like, you guys are doing really good work, man. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but come on. Stop like throwing paper and doing gags and everything. We're like, ah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like, somebody but you're doing really some, good work. At, at some point, I think somebody said, I, I'd really like to fire you, but I, I can't <laughs> right now. <laughs> Where was this? Yeah, at, uh, this was back at uh, MTV. We all worked together, you know, uh, yeah. oh, going man, through. Are doing I, funny backgrounds? Oh, yeah. No, I, I don't think my, my computer's not up to date enough to do, like, fancy ba- backgrounds. Who would have thought an animation studio at MTV would be a fun environment to work in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty fun in the night. What was it? Well, the I'm just saying, like, you would think, like, hurling paper. Not Jay, you're going in and out a little bit on your. I know it's because I'm in outer space. Can I know it's because I'm in outer space. <laughs> it takes a while for the signal to come back. What's yeah. funny is that Chris is the only one with actually a, a legit setup. We're like, ah. <laughs> I'm using these like old. Thing. His he has like yeah. mic. <laughs> I got to record for- scratch track and shit for things. <laughs> <laughs> actual microphone. <laughs> You know, it's hey, crazy. congratulations Actually, on the new show, man. I, oh, I just right watched uh, an episode today. It was hilarious. So nice. good. I'm stoked. That one gets real good, too. Watch it to the end if you can. Well, the, you're, now we are talking about Midnight go- uh, Gospel, right, Ted? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really funny. It's so good. And I was. Um, and what's so funny about that show is that it it's the audio's 
is a podcast. It's Duncan yeah. Trussell's podcast, right? Yeah. So you're man. just taking the audio of a podcast and just doing this incredible imaginative world. And it's and it's funny because most like that podcast, he's funny as a good stand-up, but a lot of it is kind of more about life. And yeah. there's a lot of kind of spiritual, mental, like it's spirituality. Yeah, Duncan is into that. You know, he's, he's cool, man. Like, I, I like his his style. Hey, is this the, are we doing the podcast now? Yeah, I guess. This is how we awesome. just kind of start. I like it. <laughs> the sl- the dissolving rather than the Yeah, heart. not even. Yeah. You can go off-roading as much as we want. It's good to have your own podcast and just be like, yeah, I don't know. We can, pay, we can talk about this or that, or we don't have to talk about anything. Nice. It says it's uh, it's recording right now, so hopefully. That oh yeah, I, s- I see a little red. Is it recording? Yeah, thing Ted says recording. Ted's in charge. No, it says me. It says uh, you're the host on my screen. You're the host. <laughs> you're right. Listen, you didn't know this it. until now, but you're actually the host. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, you know it's recording off my phone. All right, we'll go. Ahead. Ah, there we go. But yeah, no, it, it's you know I think We're real I, professional here, Crispy. Yeah, I can dig it. <laughs> Ted and I have talked about how we we were were in that world, and I'm still kind of in love with that world, even though we're doing this other thing. But I, one of the things I asked you is, how do you like storyboard? How it just seems like it's just just random thought process and obviously i know how how animation works is that you have to plan everything way in advance but it seems like it's just improv like 101 i mean this show was a little bit different in that you know we animated it all in-house and we asked netflix for that because we wanted to make sure that we could really treat it like an improv kind of thing you know it's like it's a really bizarre and unique production pipeline where you know Penn really he just dug duncan's podcast and had tried to figure out a way to work with him and 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 duncan's got such a unique brain and and even like man it must have been like six or seven years ago Penn invited me to play like a D and D game with like him and Duncan and Jesse, who ended up being the art director on this. And I think Penn's not like a Hollywood guy who's like strategic and schmoozy, but I think in some subconscious way he was seeing if we all yeah along and like can you just, can you tell people who Penn who Penn is? Oh yeah, Penn Ward is uh, the creator of Adventure Time and the yeah. co-creator of. Uh, Midnight Gospel with Duncan Trussell and a guy that I've known for a while now, 10 years or so, yeah. where we've mostly through just like playing D&D. <laughs> like, <we> just, <laughs> like he's another, for anybody who's not, who doesn't know much about the animation world, it's super small. Like it, like everybody kind of knows each other. At least it's like one degree or two degrees separated from anybody else in the animation world. So he was just a guy, you know, he was a fan of downtown. That's why he originally yeah. reached out. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, so Penn Pen Pen was, yeah, because if you think about it, he was like young enough that he watched that when he was like coming up, you know. So, uh, but so we would play D&D and, you know, he would often talk about like, what's a, you know, I really want to do something that's like subtle and weird. And how do we get like subtle acting and how do we do that? And I was like, you got to do it 
in-house it's hard to do that with like shipping to overseas yeah. the way that most animated shows work is you do the pre-production and you do this like very extensive planning and you send all these materials generally to an overseas studio because of economics and and but netflix was was willing to ante up for us to do this all in-house and and we we did less pre-production materials it wasn't like we had a, a higher budget than a show like big mouth but we we spent our money differently. We didn't have this big writer's room. We didn't do all this like. And Big Mouth is work. another show on Netflix. That's up. That's, yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's like another show your, that you your do. studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is great in a different way, but that's like very, you know, that's like traditional very, model. Like, yeah, comedy driven, like writing driven, and super funny. But Midnight Gospel is like very much like we find it as we make it, and. Wow. Penn is very instrumental. There is no real, like, there's not really a writer to each episode. It's like there was a writer's room in the beginning, but it was all, there was like a witch and like an occultist and like some musician, Weird Al was in the room. There was like <laughs> comedians. Maria Bamford was in the room. Just Wait, like Weird This was in the, the in the writing room? In like, the midnight, I guess, but which we just did for two weeks. And that was just oh about. God, like, that sounds trying awesome. Trying to figure <laughs> out the. Just Wait, the Weird Al was one of the writers? Yeah, in a way. Because we didn't really <laughs> write scripts. We just came up with. By we, I was like, I wasn't as. I wasn't the driver. Duncan and Penn were the driver's seat guys. And I was like the guy who would come in and chime in and be like, I think it would be cool if, and like, all right, that's cool. Or maybe not, you know? Um, <laughs> was this like all like a, 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 like a joint trip that you guys were on? <laughs> kind of. I mean, that's what I, I was a guy who would drop in and be like, you know, like they, Penn and Duncan are the creators and they are the driving force behind this. And I was a guy who was happy to help facilitate their vision through yeah. our studio. Because and a lot of people in anim like who aren't in animation be like, just do this. And you're like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. And somebody <laughs> like you needs to go there and be like, we can do this, but this would be really difficult or kind of impossible to do. But it's also it's so it's so weird and like off what you're like what you're listening to and what you're seeing are just yeah. so radically well, different. That was that was the key thing, was there had been podcasts that have been animated but they're generally pretty literal they're either illustrating what the people are talking about or they're making jokes that are like counterpoints to what they're talking about yeah. where this one was like kind of like the point of it was just to do something entirely different than what they're talking about but yet in a weird way also connected it's it's and it took a while to figure it out and i gotta give a lot of credit to netflix for giving us the leeway to just kind of figure it out for months like we didn't show them anything and they wow. check in and be like, can we see something? I'm like, not yet. It's <laughs> like, not ready. Like, we don't know. It's going to work, I hope, at some point. Well, but I Penn mean, was really good because we would go, we take, you know, so you have this writer's room where you figure out, like, all right, here's all the weird apocalypses that we're going to dig into visually. And then Penn and Duncan kind of figured out which podcast they were going to mine the audio from. And the podcasts are long, so you cut them down to, like, what's going to be the meat of the episode and pen would work with the editor and write in a lot of ways text on screen you know like put like something like this is going to happen here and we really had to pick our storyboard artist more carefully than you would on a show where where it's written 
because they were in a lot of ways writers on this. Yeah, they're almost like you directors. Know? Exactly. They're really taking this and and you know, our our supervising director uh Mike Mayfield super the perfect guy for this. He he's kind of figured out this system to kind of make it all work and he's like a genius of figuring this kind of shit. I mean, there's no roadmap for this kind of show. Yeah. So like you kind of like work on all this audio and you kind of sit in the edit room and Mike and Penn would kind of figure out like, this is the gist of what's going to happen and do some text on screen and some thumbnails and give that to the storyboard artist. But then it evolves and you put it back in the edit and then you do a bunch of scratch track where you're like, well, this could be the connective tissue because it's not just an animated podcast. We would also bring for the most part in almost every episode, bring the, the voice you know, whoever was the, the subject of the interview back, back in yeah. to record the connective tissue of the story, you know, except for the last episode, which if you haven't seen it, you know, to the, to your, your listening audience, watch. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to give away any spoilers, watch it all the way to the end. The last episode's really good. I gotta say, made everybody cry who worked on it. Really? I haven't uh, gotten there yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's really <laughs> deep, man. Yeah. I didn't realize that, um, uh, the epi- wait with the episode with the fishbowl uh, uh, uh-huh. fishbowl head guy yeah it's yeah one of the West Memphis three kids yeah 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 that's um, insane yeah yeah it's a real eclectic group of, yeah like who was chosen for the interviews I mean sometimes they're you know they're they're from all different some are entertainment some are like whatever you know they're all different yeah. types of people that were you know Duncan has a real eclectic I, I, I gotta say you should check it out. This is a podcast you're listening yeah, it's to his podcast. audience. I'm sure if you're listening to this on some kind of podcast format, uh, app, distribution system, whatever it is, <laughs> iTunes, SoundCloud, some shit like that, look up Dunk, the Duncan Trussell Family Hours. Real yeah. good podcast. That's, well, that's I know this that. It's kind of based on. Joe Rogan gave you uh, gave the show a shout out. Oh, yeah. His he, 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 was, he, he was really, really... Yeah, he was really complimentary about it. I mean, they talked about it for a good amount of time on his yeah. podcast. And I got to say, <laughs> Duncan was really good. He described Titmouse, which is the animation studio, uh, as a temple. He was <laughs> there and he's like, I just felt like this reverence. And it's like there's these artists are kind of like shaman and like the 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 monks of like using their magic to make this this animation come to life and i don't know how they do it but it's crazy it, it was a good well, it was a good good you also uh, have description. <laughs> your i mean your studio which is which is amazing it's a it's an independent i mean technically yeah we're fully independent studio. we're still mom and pop owned <laughs> shannon my wife and i are the only owners we never took investment crazy i mean you kind of diy'd it but it's like yeah. we're all doing a mini version of that in our own little world as artists making art and you're you're you know the shows you've done i mean you did midnight gospel but you've done venture brothers and and you said big mouth and you did like star or didn't you do like a star wars uh show yeah, we, and, and we've i was a lot other- of star wars stuff that's on you can watch it on youtube now metalocalypse metalocalypse which I, I quote with yeah. my friends all the time <laughs> but one of the things that's um that i wanted to ask you is that all the shows and if you look on your your the tip mouse uh website you could see that all the shows you've done everything from like teenage mutant ninja turtles and everything but you have so many different styles like yeah. you and it's not like oh that's 
definitely titmouse look and that's the only look they do yeah yeah all over the place and how do you like how do you balance having brand new looks for all these different shows i mean some of the shows look like they're they're anime and some of them are like really kind of hipster you know wayfergy you know silver lake looking kind of yeah it's you know we don't we approach it in a way that it's like i don't we don't have a house style i i think we have more of like what I would call maybe like a house sensibility. And it's really, there's no rules. It's just what we think is cool. Like basically you guys also know Antonio Canobio. He's a, he's got a fancy title now. He's our chief creative officer. So oh. Basically <laughs> just Antonio and I, I know Antonio. Yeah, yeah. Just like he's French. He's got real good taste, but he's also got really bad taste, like in a good way, you know, like really good, bad taste. You know, so it's like what makes us laugh? What do we think is cool? What is weird? And it's just like, you know, you want to reinvent. You don't want to make the same show over and over again. You know, some studios dig into more like they've got their thing that they do. Like, I mean, I think one of the things you know, looking at studios when we were coming up, like I was repped by uh, when I first moved to LA like twenty years ago. I was repped by Klasky Chupo as a commercials director. And that really built Titmouse up because those commercial jobs, especially back then, had really good budgets. And they Klasky didn't have that. Chup- Klasky Chupo was a pretty big studio at the yeah, time. Yeah, and back then they did Rugrats. They did yeah. like Wild Thornberries, Ah, Real Monsters. Like they were popping ginger, whatever. They were like teenage, the big Nickelodeon. Like- Jumanji, yeah. But – I always looked at them as a model in some ways, but the one way I looked at them as not a model was like, they had kind of one style that right. they dug into hard. And then when people, when the networks were done with that style, they were done. Almost. They were done. Luckily they made enough money and they like sailed off. In the sunset, <laughs> and I would not be upset to like retire the way that they retired. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> Uh, but I, 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 we made a decision to like not dig into because we could have dug into like just the way I draw, which the crispy like, look, yeah, yeah, which, which is was like, definitely like a look because again, people who might not know, we, we were all working on Beavis and Butthead and the Head, yeah, and all yeah. the shows that were yeah. coming out. And it's funny though because as long as I've known you, it's always been crispy, like yeah. I nobody calls me Tony <laughs> C or yeah, yeah. No, or no. like. Hey, yo, Ted M. Like you. Well, my last name's Kranowski, which is hard. People always spell it wrong or say it wrong, so Chris P is easy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I was lucky early on in my career to to for something to click. That you know, artists, we all have egos and shit. But in animation, it's very collaborative. Yeah. And I found, yeah, in working with certain people, like Dave Vandervoort was one of these I guys. Dave, yeah. He started oh, I remember with, him, yeah. with us when he was like nineteen, and he was working for Mike. Uh, house too uh, yeah when i had exactly and when i would give him drawings he it was like early enough that he would draw like me except better and he'd yeah i remember that except better and (laughs) i'm like oh this is what i need to do is find (laughs) these young kids who were just like he was he's just a great dressman and a super he's got this super subtle animation style and i'll be like just draw it like this. And I'd look at him like, that's exactly how I would have drawn it, except it's animated. <laughs> if I was better, I yeah. could have animated it. You know? <laughs> I remember having that exact same, he did a scene for me and I had like laid it all out. It was, but yeah, yeah. then 
I get it back and it was like way better than I could have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I found I guys like that in LA, like this guy, Juno Lee, who's one of our partners now. He just like, he he's directing and like, you know, he would storyboard and I'd be like, this is the way you do it. And then his boards would come back and they're like, I love looking at them because it's exactly how I do it, except even better. Yeah, yeah. Even better. Or Antonio, <laughs> you can draw a background better than I could draw it, but exactly how I wanted it to look. <laughs> so I kind of stepped back like a Walt Disney style, like a fucked up Walt Disney <laughs> of like all these guys can do their specific discipline better than I can. You know? Yeah, but we all, you know, Ted and I were there and we all were like, do you see what Chris is doing? You know, you were always doing something pretty extraordinary in the sense that it, oh, it was so imaginative <laughs> but then you created you know one of the first show like one of the shows that really outside of like Beavis and Putthead in those early shows which was downtown and I yeah. to this day think that it came out about three years or so too early yeah it was definitely early I think it was too because it would have been <laughs> well, it was it became years later it's like what everything became well, really that, good. I'm really good at making these cult classics. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was good, at, just I was good at making the money making hits. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, part of the part of the like inspiration behind that was like I really wanted, to, like, I was inspired by Ralph Bakshi yeah, and how yeah. that shit looked like in the '90s. You know, that shit was all made in the 70s. And we were yeah. working in the late 90s. And a lot of the Bakshi shit was like early to mid 70s. And I'm like, that fucking feels exactly like New York in the 70s, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, and I didn't tell MTV this, but I was like, I want this shit to feel like 1999 New York. Like, be, have it be like a snapshot of this era you, of New you York. fully predicted. People, 20 years later... When they look at this shit, I want them to be like, that feels like that time. And MTV was always about being evergreen and shit, but they didn't really know what evergreen meant. And they also, yeah. it was a mandate for us to use all the music of that era, which is why it can never be shown legally because that music can't be cleared now. Oh, you know? really? Is Unless that we why? remixed it with different so music. So it's like hidden away somewhere now? Yeah, yeah, whatever. You can find it on YouTube and shit. People, rip it, whatever. But um, the, yeah, uh, I was on it. That's yeah, exactly. No shit. What am I? Care? I was a character. Exactly. He, a character was based largely on you, and you came up with his tag. And you, and one of the episodes was based on a story, which at the time was an unfinished line, which is now an actually a finished line. Which is yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. The second, the second Avenue subway. Exactly. Oh, so crazy. Uh, but yeah, I think it was just a, yeah, it was a love letter to that like era of New York, you know, that specific moment that I think still feels like it was that of that time. And New York always changes and always goes through ins and outs. And I remember even back then, I remember it was the first time I realized that people, interviews and reporters aren't always your friends. Like, They'll buddy buddy up to you during the interview, and then you read the article and be like, "And you're like, what? Out of context?" And I remember the 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 person who interviewed me for the Village Voice kind of did the scathing review, but her whole point of view was like, "This is portraying this world that doesn't exist anymore. This was like how New York was in the early '80s." But I think it was filtered through her point of view because she was thinking it was a show about the East Village, but it was really more about the Lower East Side. Yeah. 
And it was like that back then, but now the Lower East Side is a totally different scene. Yeah. And somebody could be like, man, the Lower East Side is not like that anymore. But, uh, <laughs> and then, like, I, I remember she was York. like, where do you live? And I was like, I live in Williamsburg. And she's like, Williamsburg. You know, like she had, like, now Williamsburg is a super fancy. Like, when I lived in Williamsburg, it was like the up and coming artist town kind of thing. And now Williamsburg is. It's more expensive to rent an apartment. It's more than Manhattan. I can't even afford to like drive through there. I know. <laughs> and I, uh, our first, uh, our first gig in animation we did together. We were both still in college, and we worked for Ralph Bakshi. He had yeah, this little studio exactly. set up. Yeah. No, I mean we all did. Everybody who <laughs> who worked in New York and in like any time between the seventies and like the mid nineties probably worked for Ralph Bakshi. It's, it's funny. A- so this movie that I'm directing, I can't talk about at oh, all. Oh, we can't talk about the movie? Okay. I cannot talk about that, except for I'm saying I'm recording. That's why I have this mic set up. Yeah. One, I'm doing scratch track for a couple of characters, but one of the characters in it, I'm doing an impression of Ralph Baxi. Of Ralph, of Ralph Baxi. <laughs> oh, he's got this kind of voice like yeah. this. And he's got this little bit of a lift. And he's like... He's crazy. And he used to come in without his teeth. He'd yeah. come in without his teeth. And he'd be like, if we get funding, I'm going to come yeah. in with my yeah. teeth. Yeah, I'm going to get those teeth. I'll tell you about the story, how I lost the teeth while I was with Kim Basinger's. <laughs> I was with her. double, And I, we were in LA and I was riding in a red convertible and we were doing coke off the dashboard and I wrapped it around the tree and that's how I lost my teeth. <laughs> It's totally not a true story, but he told me that story. He uh, he also his style was just always that gritty, like set like his sketches. One of the things yeah. I noticed was working for him is like his his other stuff. Like when he when it went out, like when he was doing Mighty Mouse, it would get cleaned up. But like yeah. when he did, just like his sketches had that like gritty New York seventies. Like it, there's something amazing about just the way he like sketches. They did. It's funny. My interview with him, it was so interesting. You know. He was looking through my sketchbook and he's like, mm. so uh, everything you draw in your sketchbook is either realistic or really weird. What happened to the cornball stuff? How come nobody does the cornball stuff anymore? I thought I was tanked. And then he was like, oh, you can start on Monday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, uh, that's a job? Weird. <laughs> I know that uh, our inter- we did a we did a uh, podcast an episode with James Gurney and he talked a lot about Bakshi and because he worked on um, Fire and Ice. Oh, Fire and Ice! Oh, yeah. yeah. And we were exchanging war stories with, with yeah, yeah. But J- James has known him for a long time. You remember when we were all we all worked on the Beavis and Butthead movie? Yeah. Uh, Beavis, what is it? Beavis and Butthead do a. Well, you did the second. Like, you did the like so, the trip. Well, yeah, we I was were, lucky because I I wasn't directing on the show i was a storyboard artist on the show at the time and they used all the episode directors of the show to direct the sequences that had to look like the show so they were like i'd yeah. done a couple of like station ids or like vma spots that were had like weird little goofy monsters in them and shit and they were like what about this guy to direct this weirdo <laughs> sequence i'm so happy i mean that was the first thing they let me direct really at MTV other than little like yeah. 10 second things. You know, when so. we, when we heard that you were going to direct that, like the, the psychedelic scene of that movie, we were all like, 
perfect <laughs> we were all like of course that's gonna be your thing like now with, this new, with midnight gospel too yeah. i mean it's got that yeah. we've done a lot of fucked up trippy shit so <laughs> i think that we've carried that that we've we've pulled that 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 string that thread you know it's all different <laughs> yeah. styles yeah. it's all different things but that that comes up you know, <laughs> yeah. frequently within the work that the studio does for for sure. Hey, Chris, did you did you, wait? Did you go to SBA for animation? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. So you knew cool from the start arts. this is what you wanted to do. I mean, I guess you know. I always liked to draw as a kid, and my dad was actually an elementary school art school teacher. He's a guy actually. My dad wanted to be like a New York, like Mad Men, like ad guy, but he got kind of beat beat up. And I think my mom put pressure on him. It's like, you got to, you got to like, you know, raise a family and you need a more practical job. And and this gig came up in New Jersey of being an art teacher. My dad kind of, I feel bad. He kind of checked out from the creative side and kind of did, but he was always, he was always a great drafts person, right? Always, you know, inspired by how well he could paint and draw and shit. It was a big inspiration to me growing up obviously but i didn't know what i could do with it practically other than seeing you know what he did as an art teacher um and my friend uh jack alvino who's another trenton guy uh he uh he got a video camera like early like in the mid 80s like before anybody had a video camera we would like make fucked up movies and shit (laughs) and uh he was like hey i'm gonna go to nyu to film school to learn how to do movies and shit and i was like oh that's like you could do that that's a thing you could do (laughs) and like i thought i was like maybe i like making these fucked up movies and i like drawing maybe there's like a thing to meld these together and like looked into animation and started getting books, like checking books out of the library. And I like got this shitty, like eight millimeter camera from some like photo store in Trenton and like started like doing these pencil tests and then applied to, to SVA. And, and it's interesting because I applied for this scholarship and I didn't get it. And my mom is like some kind of like, uh, you ever see, uh, you ever see this obscure uh, sitcom named Seinfeld? <laughs> Never. Heard no. Yeah, but, uh, Never heard of that one. Yeah. My mom always reminds me of like George Costanza's mom from Seinfeld. <laughs> kind of this like really, really like shrill kind of like, like, like very confident, like kind of New Jersey, New Yorky kind of like mom. And when she found out, found out I didn't get the scholarship, she just bullied. I don't know if you guys remember Reeves. He was the chairman at the time. Yeah. So I bullied them into giving me a partial scholarship <laughs> <laughs> or to do it so between like, you know, my folks kicking in some money and getting the partial scholarship and find, you know, like a, a financial aid, like student loan. I was able to go to SVA and, uh, yeah. And just kind of what I liked about SVA versus NYU, because I knew a bunch of people who went, I remember I, 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 went was, to doing, NYU. I was doing freelance work uh, there and that's where I, I met uh, Eugene Salandra. Oh yeah. We, yeah, we were yeah. Both working on the same freelance job in school and Disher. I met like a couple of people oh, yeah. I met uh, who were NYU people, but I like the, yeah. the SVA who's like become a great, like director in her own right doing all these cool cg movies for blue sky and stuff it's karen disher yeah yeah she's directing a movie right now yeah Yeah. but um what i liked about sva was like it was almost more like like 
like you know how you'd go to in high school there would be like the the regular high school and then there'd be like the tech high school <laughs> like sba was kind of like the tech college like the real colleges you're like yeah you know whatever you're not a real like academic school we're like community you guys college. a lot of equipment and they let you use it whenever you want that's what i kind of dug it was kind of like the 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 teachers were fine and they were cool they're you know, all like New York arties. They were New York. They were like beatniks and shit. Like yeah. Weirdos and stuff. I love them. But like, we didn't really learn a lot of fundamentals, no. but they did. They were like, fuck around, try shit out, do whatever you want. And that, that worked well for me specifically. You know, I, I, I kind of dug that about SVA. And I taught at SVA for one semester. I thought I was going to do longer. I liked it, but I ended up moving to, to LA and, and then I couldn't teach at SVA anymore. But, I taught intro to animation. I remember like thinking like, what would I want to tell these kids that I wish somebody told me? And I gave them this little speech, like the first day I was like, Hey, if you came here to get a job in animation, you should drop out today and like take some cheap drawing classes at like the art students league and try and figure out how to get an internship somewhere. And that's yeah. going like, to get you a job way faster. You're going to save a fuck ton of money. And that's the way to get They all looked at me with these big saucer eyes. But I was like, but if you want to develop as an artist and have time to make your own films and have four years of like working on your own shit and, and having the time to work on your own shit before you get a job, that's what this is for. So don't think that your diploma means anything. You have to put the work in. Yeah. And you have to like make shit here. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. Know? And you'll never get another chance. Me. And you'll you never don't. get another chance. Cause once you get a job, man, you might think you're going to work on your own films, but they, no. you're not, man. It's like, yeah. it's rare that people can work consistently at a, like a gig I mean, job and also make their own films. But I thought it was one of the cool things. It was actually, for me, it was the best part of working at MTV was like all the like station IDs and all the yeah. like VMA stuff that they threw at us. And yeah. like, just, I mean, like Tony and I did, I think we all did for the same VMAs. We all did yeah. spots. And true, man, that yeah. was like, that was amazing. Like the exposure that you got there. I remember meeting Tony. Mike Judge at the after party for the VMAs and him being like, Oh, I loved your your thing and just being like, oh my God, that's so yeah. awesome. <laughs> but that's rare, dude. Like that was a special magic formula of those days of MTV. You know, it's really weird to think that that MTV only lasted like six or seven years. It seemed yeah, like yeah. But like, I was there for five years. I don't know how long you guys are there, but it was remember. crazy. It was like, it seemed like such a long time. It's such a formative time. And that shit only, it did, it was like a blip and it was gone. Oh, yeah, true. but for a while there, it became this big thing. Like not only yeah. that, it became New York put New York on the map to like for animation and creative. Yeah. You know, L.A. was doing L.A. stuff. They were doing movies and yet Disney and all that, and that's yeah. fun. But yeah, yeah. MTV was like, "Hey, we're going to experiment and do all this weird oh, stuff." And then you had this like talent pool that was pretty unique, dude. They were the Adult Swim before Adult Swim. It's but funny, yeah, before, yeah. There was like maybe, I don't know if it was like 2013 or 14, something like that. Uh, there was this Adult Swim panel. And Adult Swim asked me to see if I could wrangle Mike Judge to be the moderator of this Adult Swim panel at Comic-Con, which I 
I did because I kept in touch with him. We've worked on some stuff together since the MTV days. And he, he came in and it was funny because he, he went off on this tirade against MTV and he was like, listen, MTV fucked it up. They could have been Adult Swim. And it's like, look at everybody who's sitting on this panel. He pointed to me and Christy and I forget who else, <laughs> but it was like, all these guys worked at MTV. Yeah, yeah. And they, they don't know ended what they up had. Making all the shit for adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they just had foresight, I, I remember. Yeah. I don't know if you, if I should even say. That. Well, no, I remember when um, when when South Park came to MTV. Yeah. They yeah. called me, and I don't remember Ted. You were there, but I, I think Chris, you were there. We, we went and watched the. Well, we went and watched the pilot. Yeah, and yeah. Orby was South Park. Yeah, yeah. We, was, we like sat there and we were all like that because we've never seen anything like that before. And I was like, yeah. they were like, what did you think? And I was like, that was hilarious and amazing. You know, Abby tried to buy it, but he couldn't, but like it was too. Do you late. remember why? I if I remember, remember it's because they, if when, when we took the Matt Stone and Trey Parker, Matt Stone, because they wanted control. And MTV yeah. as a corporation, as Viacom, yeah, yeah. was like, no, we own everything. And they were like, we'll just take our business somewhere else. Or yeah, we're going to yeah. take it somewhere else. And it was the right decision. Yeah, because yeah. they got complete Abby know, creative control. Them. See, the thing is, Abby cre- creative control because he would. Well, I guess, you know what they're probably afraid of was the fire shit. You remember Beavis and Butthead season one? Fire. Like Beavis could do the like, yeah. fire, fire. And then they were put the kibosh on that. And they were like, we don't want. Anybody putting yeah. that those kind it wouldn't of restrictions have become on South our ship yeah, that yeah. we know now? Yeah. I remember, but, yeah, but it was also all that family. Like they had Nickelodeon there too, and I remember doing some yeah. work for Nickelodeon, and there was like broken glass, and I got like the scene, like or the thing I did. They, they were like, no, 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 we can't have broken glass. No broken glass <laughs> on Nickelodeon. Like, what? <laughs> 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 you know, coming from SVA as well, but <clears throat> before. I went and started studying more painting and what I wanted to do at the time and, and now is just to be a fine artist. I remember again not so that- fine. Not so not fine. So fine. <laughs> but having that collaborative community that you were in there with all these other people. But I do remember, and, and it came from like the birthday cards that we would all draw on each other. Yeah, oh, those were amazing. amazing. But this is the thing, how many good draftsmen were yeah. there? And yeah, it's weird because they would work on a scene that we yeah. were all working on or something. I was a background artist, so I would paint yeah. landscapes. But <clears throat> then the birthday card would come around for people to sign and everybody would do drawings. And there were some yeah. of the most creative and well-drawn like drawn things I've seen. And it was like inspiring to get those. And it just shows that there is like <coughs> actually training. They were like yeah. in front of a model at college or wherever at the Art Students League. And they were doing, like, they were drawing a lot. And that's one of the things about teaching is that that's all good. That's all great. But just draw as much as you can. Draw, yeah. draw, draw every that's, day. Keep that's it the thing for the, I'm sure you tell, I mean, everybody who listens to this, I'm sure you tell them that. But just draw all the time. Just make shit all the time. That's another thing that I made. And it was it was surprising to me when I taught how many people I was like, there was whatever the specific assignment was for the day. And then there was just like, draw 10 pages in your sketchbook, just fill up 10 pages in your sketchbook, which is nothing for a week. I'm like, that's like, even if you're only doing school days of like five, that's two pages. That's nothing. And I didn't even have, it could be anything. I was like, I don't care what it is. 
it was amazing. But like half the class didn't fill up. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, the fuck? I was blowing through sketchbooks. <laughs> yeah. like, you guys suck. Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. How could you not be drawing this in your sketchbook you all the time? Yeah. <laughs> Are you ever yeah, with your... Draw, 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 draw. That'll be my talk about the movie but one thing i uh, but one thing i i i, I love and it's uh, such a crispy thing and i don't even uh-oh. know i don't know if you've had a podcast but you're you're a really well-known D guy oh like, yeah people i know who are into D D, like yeah, yeah, in yeah, other yeah. parts of the country yeah. are like yeah, yeah crispy i know who he is yeah. not crispy the great artist like paint you know like animator and everything crispy like the D and D like connoisseur (laughs) and, and you know, and this is another thing is people, so many people I've talked to are secret D and D people. Yeah, and man. I'm like finding out I, I all those people. people. Yeah, Jay, by the way, Jay, Jay Braun is one of those. Oh, hard right. yeah, yeah. Some of <laughs> our mutual <laughs> friends are into that shit a lot, dude. I don't know if one of our dudes wants to be named on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You are, yeah. But it's funny that so many people are into it. And again, yeah. it goes back, you know, when we were talking about drawing in your sketchbook, all these yeah. things that become living that artistic life. And look, yeah. I lo- I like D&D for its its nostalgia. I didn't really play it, but I kind of dug it. And yeah. for me, it was the illustrations of the early books from the 70s. Oh, those books yeah. were I amazing. I would flip through those, and those, like, made me want to draw. I was drawing all yeah. those, like, demons and stuff yeah. all the time. That's what draw- made me love D&D back then. Yeah. The, I don't know if you guys know this story, but it's a good one. If you know the guy, maybe I'll set it up for your audience so it's not just yeah. an inside joke. But um, this guy, Antonio Canobio, who we talked earlier, it's a guy who grew up in Paris, you know, on, in the like outskirts of Paris. And he uh, wanted to play D&D so bad when he was a kid, but none of the books were translated into French. So he bought the English books and he translated them from English into French. And that's how he learned English. <laughs> and he knew all the like names of the D&D monsters and weapons and shit before he knew stuff like bread or like normal words and shit. That is like the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your charisma looks very low. Yeah. That's it's so crazy cool. that D&D's become so big now. I never thought it would. I thought it would always be this thing that was just like a side thing that but it's so huge now. I don't know why they're not airing that on ESPN right now. They got nothing yeah. else going on. <laughs> because they don't need to. That's the thing, right? Like we, we're working with these guys, uh, Critical Role, who they're like probably the biggest D&D podcast. And they like, they do so well on their own. I don't think ESPN could offer them a deal that would be better than their like direct to consumer market. You know, right. it's like, why would they ever do it? Are they like, I remember that happened with, with MLG, you know, they were like the first esports company and I knew the guys who founded MLG, which stands for, uh, I guess it's major league gaming. And it was like, they would do just all the video game playing. Right. And ESPN tried to do like, what if we like license your shit for an hour block on ESPN? And they're like, well, it doesn't really work that way because people want to watch these long games where they kind of have it on in the background and it's like it wouldn't they just couldn't make a deal because it wasn't worth it to them they were like right. we we go direct to market and we make a really good living 
like without a middleman, like why would we do a deal with you? <laughs> yeah. I'm making millions on Twitch. I don't need yeah, you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Role playing games like kind of resist corporate influence. I mean, obviously, part of the charm of it is that it's slightly homespun and like a little quirky, and you know. Yeah. When people run out of the lecture set on, in the manual, suddenly the plot <laughs> would change. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, last time I saw you, Chris, <clears throat> when I saw you in Austin, when I went, um, you had you happened to have the shoe of Gygax. Yeah, the sandal of Gygax. <laughs> I'm sorry, the sandal of Gygax. Yeah, it's in L.A. I didn't bring it oh! with me to Austin this time. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, man, can you describe what the sandal of yeah. Gygax is? Well, Gary Gygax was the creator of Dungeons and Dragons. And there was a time in his life where he worked as a cobbler because he used to be an insurance adjuster in Wisconsin. And then like he, he, he left that full-time job to, to basically focus on making the early versions of Dungeons and Dragons. But then he realized like, shit, man, I got four kids and I got a, like a family I got to support. So his side job, because he could do it as ho- at home, while he was also like creating Dungeons and Dragons, he became a cobbler. So he'd make shoes and fix shoes. But the sandal of Gygax, the legend behind it, and I got it from Luke <laughs> Gygax, his youngest son from his first marriage, uh, was like he made the sandal. And like basically it was like the last thing he made before he realized, like, I don't have to be a cobbler anymore. I can I can go full time D&D now. So it was like this his his last creation as a cobbler, and it's in this little wooden box. And and I'm the steward. I was only supposed to be the steward for one year, but because of the coronavirus, I'm ended up being the steward for two years. Because <laughs> yeah, well, the event in Wisconsin where you do they they do an auction for it, and, you and like <laughs> I, I I won it in the 2019, and you, it's like the Stanley Cup. You keep it for a year and you bring it back. So I did give a donation towards it's the wounded warrior project is the charity for it. Uh, Gave a donation so I could keep it another year. Um, But I'll bring it back next year. Hopefully if all this shit's like, you're like, no, no, Wisconsin's not ready. I'm sorry. Let's be safe. Let's be safe. What's great is Chris at the time was going around and having, people hold it so you take a, yeah. a photo so you were trying you were getting like celebrities and stuff to hold yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when you work you know in animation it's like a lot of comedians and yeah. actors and celebrities and even art celebrities and other kind of weirdos i got to do i didn't want to make it all actors i thought that that wasn't that wasn't really the scene of the D community <laughs> it's probably more artists and more weirdos than 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 actors but got a bunch of people to hold it on because we were doing this. We did this one art show. We weren't able to do it again this year, again, for the same reason uh, where we did we raise money for like the old D and D creators, like guys who worked on the original games who weren't owners who got paid like their hundred bucks a week. And a lot of them now have no health insurance and they're in bad, you know, yeah, like, they're old, they're gentle, they're old dudes, they're and, old, they're people. Yeah. 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 And they get, physical ailment so i was glad to contribute to that a little bit you know the thing is it's like an art auction only raises so much money insurance bills are high but at least it took the edge off you know yeah that's yeah well let us know if you're going to do that again because i'd love to maybe put out an announcement or something like that because because i know that like i was stating before i know you run into a lot of people who are about our age and a lot of those illustrations 
were like the reason, you know, outside of comic yeah. books and outside of cart, you know, animation oh, and stuff, yeah. were the reason why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. And some of that shit, man, they had the original art there. Like I saw like the original oh, painting really? of like the dungeon master's guide with that weird. Wow. Oh, that's so front. awesome. I love it's that. Like, it's like, and it's not, these paintings aren't that big, dude. Like it was probably like, man, I'm trying to think of what the dimensions are, but it's probably like, two feet wide like it seems pretty big <laughs> it's not that big man it's like it's like slightly bigger than the actual book like, oh oh yeah, yeah i guess because right, it's because yeah. it's the whole it's the front and back it's the front and know? back yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a big like demon buddha guy yeah 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 i remember <laughs> that yeah, yeah yeah but no i mean those illustrations were so cool and i was always i you know i wondered was it a bunch of people who did those or was it just a handful of artists who were do like coming up with all the concepts and like maybe there were some big hitters like russ i I do know you know players and then minor players too yeah man fifth grade teacher recently sent me a packet of drawings i did in fifth grade and they're all like knights shooting arrows and like all these like dungeons and dragons (laughs) battles (laughs) with like (laughs) demons and dragons Do you have, um, as far as like kind of future stuff with Titmouse without, you know, not saying this, say, but do you have a bunch of, pro- actually one thing I wanted to mention that uh, was interesting to me, you know, being in quarantine here, like everybody else is in the world um, and still liking movies, you know, all of Hollywood is pretty much shut down. Uh, really all over the world, uh, live action is shut down except yeah. for animation. So it just seems like the only game in town right now are, um, not not only for series and movies and shorts, but also like commercials. They're all going yeah. animation right now. It is a weird time, man. Like we're we have more work than we've ever had. It's kind of it's kind of a weird feeling knowing that you know there's like so much, so many people are out of work. Yeah, you know. But I do feel good that we could keep. Like we haven't furloughed a single person. Like everybody's wow. working. That's amazing. Everybody's coming in and able to. Well, nobody's coming in at all. Oh, all everybody's just like we were. Well, there's like the security guards are in, the cleaning people come in, and like our office managers pop in and out. But like no, and then like we'll do like as needed, like you know, a production person will come in and like download a bunch of files off the server and like distribute them. Cause it's like faster than like doing it all over the internet. Cause you can only do so much, you know, with the speed of the internet. But I gotta say, because we have like locations in LA, New York and Vancouver, and we work with a bunch of freelancers all over the world. And we work with a bunch of other studios all over the world we were pretty well situated to do this remote work. Cause we're always doing like this shit that we're doing now. Right. Every day we're doing that yeah, stuff. Just a little bit more extreme. Yeah. <laughs> and because it's all, we all draw digitally now, you know, paper has kind of gone out the window as far as like a production, Ooh. you know, you're all like, just on like Wacom on, tablets, yeah, just on Cintiqs and stuff. And uh, Cintiqs. You know, and it's just like what the yeah. software. we use whatever. Every production's different. We use whatever, whatever works. Like, we don't dig into any one software. It's like we look at the pipeline for every show and we use whatever, whatever's needed. Matter. Yeah, it's like we'll use 
anything and everything. And we kind of write with, you know, we did an experiment like about 10 years ago, we tried doing like a side, like video game studio. And that was kind of like, it was a big learning experience. We lost a lot of money on it, but, um, but what I did learn is like, Oh, anything that this software doesn't do, you can get someone to write code to make it do what you want it to do. And that was the biggest, even though that video game experiment as a company was a failure, it was a huge boon for the animation studio. Cause now we get guys, we take different software and then we have people write code to make it do anything that we don't, that it can't do. Like Midnight okay. Gospel, if you look at the line quality on that, yeah, like Penn really wanted a crunchy pencil drawn line and there was none of the software delivered on that line. So we had somebody write code to like basically take a, a normal, smooth, regular line and just fuck it up to the right degree to make it look like a crunchy pencil line. Like an HP pencil or something. Yeah, and there's like off the shelf stuff that'll do that, but it wasn't the wasn't. exact line that we were looking for. So we used to have to photocopy send a <laughs> cell vinyl like like yeah. through the machine through the copy machine to get that. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it would too be too smooth. <laughs> yeah, the ink line you'd you'd have to use like a rapidograph, or you'd use yeah. like an actual like quill. Well, not quill, but like the actual like like ink pen, dip in yeah. ink, and you, you to get that line weight. And it's like, yeah, that would all be too perfect. So yeah, you you draw like the sketchy, like get that like milk call, like Ken Anderson kind of like. 60s disney line through like yeah. xeroxing the cells yeah i mean when it's you if you look at like um uh uh jungle book or yeah or um you know uh sword in a stone I yeah mean, that line quality is amazing or 101 yeah. dalmatians yeah Incredible. like anything from like the nine old men <laughs> and all that yeah. it's like it's i mean if you're listening to this you don't know who the nine old men are or any uh, of those like early Disney. I mean, for me as an artist, as much as I love the 19th and 16, you know, 17th and 18th century, a lot of the stuff that came out of the 19th century that would kind of become illustration, but then that developed into movies and yeah. things, you know, Disney and everything, but they were looking at the artists that I love, like 19th yeah, century French academic painters. That, that's, that's a really interesting thing. Cause Milt Carl, who I, I feel is like, he's, he's the, the, the main dude of anime. Yeah. He's the guy <laughs> who, who really just stepped it up to another level. And, and, and his work is really present in the sixties era. He's, you know, it's all the eras, but you know, probably 50s, 60s, 70s, but with the main, like main point in the, in the sixties, which is, you know, a lot of the movies that you just referenced, like yeah. 101 and Dalmatians, Jungle Book, like a lot of that stuff was in that era. He, one of the things that he said that I think is super, it's really true is like those guys were looking at life. People hadn't animated yeah. before. Yeah. Like there was the rubber hose stuff in the twenties and thirties and in the forties, they really figured it out. But in the sixties, what they were doing, they weren't even looking at the 40s stuff. They were looking at life. They were looking at how yeah. shit really moves like that. Sheer Khan animation and jungle. Incredible. It's one of the from best. Like it's yeah. from drawing tigers from at like the zoo, yeah. over and over <laughs> and over, yeah. and over and over again. And I think there is a real like, deficit in animation now of people from the 
people do life drawing class. They'll go draw the model. Like that's still a thing, but people studying motion from motion. life. Now there's such a wealth and such a backlog and such a history of animation and such a catalog of animation that animators often just look at animation. Right. They grow up they looking at animation. They don't look at life to like, and I'm guilty of this too. Everybody's got their bag of tricks and everybody's on a production schedule and everybody's got to deliver. So you know what works and you're like, I know how to, I know how to make this scene work. It's like, boom, overshoot, settle, six frames, six frames, <laughs> you know, that's going to work, you know, but if you really look at life, that's how you're going to do something new. Actually, I think that's this to, to bring it back to midnight gospel. That's a show that's not looking, it's not looking at bag of tricks stuff. No. It's not looking at like what works. It's just like, do what you think you should do for this. Like the whole the whole episode that takes place, I think it's the second episode, second or third, that takes place in like the meat world where they get churned up and <laughs> yeah, yeah. through the meat tubes. It's like, there's no precedent for how to do that. <laughs> like that's <laughs> brand new. <laughs> so really- did you go to like a meat processing plant? Yeah. Remember like Richard Williams, you know, yeah. if nobody knows, like his book on animation is kind yeah. of, pretty amazing but yeah you know a lot toolkit yeah yeah he was amazing but all those guys like milk call and everything they were wicked draftsmen like they can sit in in front of anything and i remember as a kid seeing some of that old footage from disney where they would be out life drawing at the zoo or they'll be out like painting a tree trunk of something yeah. to understand what the tree and i was like dick my williams mind dick williams is amazing you for the audience out there if you're not familiar with him that movie that you're probably familiar with that you probably grew up watching who framed roger rabbit oh, he was oh. the animation director on that and that movie yeah. i just watched it recently i watched it during this corner i showed it to my kid and that movie holds up like nobody's business and the thing that is so impressive about that is they had to plan that shit. That shit was drawn on paper. And that was done through multiple passes through an optical printer. They didn't use computers at all on that movie. It's all like super draftsmen, super technical draftsmen just drawing that shit. It's crazy when you think about it. And some of the sickest animation. Now people just shoot stuff, directors, whatever. It's great. I mean, it's great that the technology exists i don't i use it i don't i don't think it's bad but like you don't have to plan like that you could just go to set and like shoot whatever and it's like we'll figure out how to do it later like they had to plan every frame of that had to be planned and like super technically figured out on set or else it wouldn't have worked yeah it wouldn't that, work yeah. that movie is such a technical achievement it's insane yeah. You know, they, they show there's that bar scene where all the uh, animated characters are, like shaking drinks and stuff. It's, oh, yeah. And they had to figure out shit like timing on that. Like there's a scene where, you know, the, the, the uh, Bob Hoskins character, he's hiding Roger Rabbit. The weasel characters are coming to his like place to yeah, like, like, find Roger Rabbit. Right. And they're looking all and, and like he keeps Pushing Roger, yeah, like (laughs) under his, like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) oh, yeah, the water comes up. (laughs) And there's a scene at the end, it's like the tail end of the tail end of an animation you call a shot, a scene, but it's a there's a shot at the end of the at the end of the sequence where uh, it's like the weasel that uh, Squiggy from 
Laverne and Shirley plays the voice of, and he comes yeah. up and he's saying something about, uh, I forget what the line is, but he does this thing where he splashes the water and he splashes it twice. And it's this, like, whatever, he says the line and he does like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. with the water at with the, the water, end, he splashes it. And they had to actually, to to your point, like do the physical water on set and do that timing on the thing, and it's just like all that planning that had to go ahead because now they would just do it. It's like whatever the animator does, they do CG water or something. It would work and it would be fine. It would be cool, but they actually had a fucking dude with a squib like under, <laughs> under like a, a platform like shooting the water up out of the sink that had to make it do that exact timing of the like tsh, tsh, that just works so well it's such a good acting thing that it's like who planned that you know it's crazy. i remember seeing that in the theater and being really blown away by that yeah yeah I remember being blown away by the quality of the animation in that just like the art of making things move in that is so like yeah man it doesn't it's get much crazy. better and those old the old disney movies too like you yeah. look at the way that like yeah. a head turns or a head position and it's never like straight on it's always like tilted in a way and when a head turns yeah. you see like the volume of it like the nose projecting forward and it there's just that like sense of volume that i think comes yeah. from all their like life drawing and studying you know things well dick williams was the right guy to bring onto that he he wasn't afraid of drawing you know, like right power. I mean, he was like it. a perfectionist. He was known perfectionist. I mean, like the, to the, a yeah, crazy the, degree. His if you guys story, haven't heard yeah. of the, the Thief and the Cobbler, like that's a movie he had been working on for like thirty years, and it got ripped out of his hands to be finished. And it probably he probably never would have finished it. Yeah, but that yeah. like some of the things, some of the some the of the two or three scenes he finished are yeah, insane. So good. Everyone's that stuff like with that floor. checkerboard floor. Yeah, it's a, the craziest like thing. The perspective oh changes. The car it's got to be on YouTube or something. It's bananas. It but, is. Yeah. yeah. But I know that's like a pretty, it's actually yeah. really sad because and he was yeah. like an yeah, apprentice to the nine old men. Yeah, it's true. But he had a different style. He His style didn't fall into that Disney style. He didn't, no. he didn't use the, the same principles as them. He had his own principles, which, which overlapped, but it's interesting with that Roger Rabbit, you know, Zemeckis finding Williams was, I think the perfect combo because they're both super technical. Yeah. Like Roger Rabbit's technical and back to the future is one of those movies. That's so technical. They're like, it's just, uh, it was, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, there'll ever be a movie like Roger. I'm so glad they didn't make a sequel. I, I always heard that they were going to make one, and I was like, I just, yeah. I, I'm so fond of that movie. Yeah. I now that you mention it, they probably will. They probably yeah. will. <laughs> and the director is going to be Chris, Chris P. <laughs> no way, man. <laughs> but yeah, to get Dave Van Voort to do that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody super technical. <laughs> but honestly, yeah, I think. I step off to an online D&D game. All right. Right on, man. Good seeing you, Jay. Uh, we'll talk to you. Tell uh, all the streaming you can see. Yeah. Later, Jay Browns. Yeah. So anyway, like one of the one of the things, I mean, uh, I just think it's important because a lot of our audience is, you know, we, we just kind of built an audience that a lot are a lot more you know, painters and but yeah. it's again, it's this idea that there's these disciplines that kind of run parallel. And this one obviously is very parallel because it's a lot of the like a lot of people who've taken who studied with me ended up going and doing game design or where people have yeah. taken my workshop where people who are, who worked in animation, who work or who c currently do 
or who are doing things like that. And it's, again, it's that thing where it's like, you can do with that, but here's like these principles of working from life and being a good draftsman, understanding color theory, all these things that I think are so important because it doesn't mean that you have to go and be some realistic gallery painter. It's just that you're taking knowledge and you're applying it to whatever discipline you want to do in in, in the arts or something. And it's going to work because you're, you're learning knowledge and you're learning discipline. Understanding that shit is key and the the breadth of that, the more broad you can go with that, the way it's going to help you in, in things, because I think it's good to go deep on some things, but you know, I talk about this with Antonio a lot about how people it's, it's again, it goes to studying life and, and, and how life experiences in a lot of ways, just as important as technical experience of being an artist. It's like, he'll ask somebody to, to, you know, it's like, okay, for this background, you know, whatever, you got to draw a window or whatever. And he'll find like, people are always drawing the same window because they're doing the same Google image search and they're not going past the first page (laughs) of the Google image search. And it's like, go out and live, go out and travel, go out and look at real windows, touch a window and see how it really works. Don't use Google image search as your only way to see how fucking things look. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how these algorithms now infiltrate our lives and you end up seeing similar shit. And I see it a lot in like, like concept design, like, you know, where it's like the same brushes, the same technique, the same shit, the same Sid Mead looking concept the guys yeah. all want to do the same shit and it's like you know it, it, it's 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 uh and it's easy to fall into that because in any kind of commercial art because it kind of works there's 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 things right like it's like you, you you know you you have to you know you have to deliver and on a schedule and a budget so it's easy to go to that bag of tricks yeah and, yeah you know it's like it's like i remember in you know, art school at SVA, you know, did did you guys have Andy Gernt for yeah. anatomy? Yeah, yeah he was him. awesome. Yeah. yeah. He was great. He's a real yeah. ball buster. And I mean he would talk about the eye and the hand. And those are the two things you have to develop. You know, it's like you have to develop your eye and your hand. And I feel like in animation, this is one thing that I don't know. I think I made up, but maybe I didn't, uh, is like because there's the eye and the hand, which are important disciplines, but there's the clock which is a different thing, which is the timing of everything because you're on a timeline and you're thinking about like, there's, there's your clock, your screen clock, but there's also your clock and your, like how long you take to like actually, you know, execute the art. And that's a uh-huh. whole nother thing that you have to be aware of. And the clock is another thing because it's like, you could look at somebody's portfolio, but you know, if somebody, took a year to paint a painting they're not going to be able to work in a production environment and you know as you guys know from working in animation it's like you know it's like you got to do sometimes eight ten backgrounds a week so it's like you're painting two backgrounds a day sometimes i remember having to do two backgrounds a day yeah with disney so they'd be like four days on this one i was like oh my god i could work for like two or two to four days on one back and it was usually a a big establishing shot because otherwise it was morning background, afternoon background. Yeah. Be done by the end of the day. That was the lunch break. Yeah. You, <laughs> you, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it depends, it depends, you know, it's funny over the years as things have gone digital, the expectation for what an animation background is, has gotten more demanding because back then it's like, Hey, you can only paint what you can paint in, yeah. in that amount of time. Yeah. But with yeah. digital, there's a lot more, the, your bag of tricks is a lot bigger and you can paint a much more realistic or complex, or you could do more iterations on a background than you used to, you know, you, know, you could, you know, you could do a global color change on the whole yeah. thing in, yeah. in a second that you can't do in a physical painting. You know? Yeah, yeah. Right. That was one of the hard things I found with animation is just yeah. those times. Like, I mean, it, it's so labor intensive to like yeah. make something move. And, you know, when you're hand drawing animation, like I, I love the art form of, it. and I love like all those, the way that those old Disney guys would make something move was amazing. But nobody's yeah. going to pay you to do that unless you're doing like a serial commercial, in which case yeah. like you're going to hate yourself and hate what you're doing, but like it's still like it moves beautifully. And that was I've the only a, chance you'd get for that. I've done a few serial commercials. <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. I've done McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Kmart. Yeah. You did a McDonald's and a Kmart commercial? Yeah. I mean, that's how you, that's back then. That's how you would pay for like. No, in New York, advertising like, was a big part of it. Yeah. I actually think it's a huge advantage. It's probably a huge advantage in anything. I might just be biased because I this was my experience, but to come up in New York just gives you an advantage, certainly in animation, to like come up in New York and go to LA. It's just like you. It's such a brutal existence in New York. Yeah, it's cut. Yeah, you have to learn how to do everything because you can't just pick one. I'm just going to be a guy who turns character designs, and that's all I'm going to like. You just wouldn't. There's not enough work in New York to do that. But in LA, that you can. You could. You just do one thing. You could specialize really good. You could be a hyper specialist and just get really good at that. But just the how much work you have to produce and how hard you have to work and how many disciplines you have to learn in New York really sets you up when you when I came in LA I was in I was like 27 or 28 when I moved from New York to LA it was really good to just be like oh this is it this like everybody leaves at six and <laughs> you used to like a much more I remember, yeah existence. you used to sleep under your desk yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah new york was rough it still is it's still cutthroat i mean yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you can make it th- i mean if you can make it there uh, yeah, I know yeah. it's an old i'm thing. sure it's like that in every discipline in new york not just animation like anything I mean, you want to do it's 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 probably not as rough as it used to although right now as we're talking, New York is rough. Like, yeah, it's, it's rough. I mean, uh, everything. It's weird. It's yeah. real weird. Where it's are pretty, you, man? Where I'm you in guys? Brooklyn. Yeah, right on. Where in Brooklyn? Uh, Gowanus. Right on. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of those neighborhoods those people never heard of. In the 90s. No, but Gowanus, <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, I remember that was an up and coming. Like when I left, that seemed to be like maybe that's the place to buy. You know, like yeah, you, yeah. you would have been right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would have been very right, actually. That's exactly yeah. what I did. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, yeah, you right. have, go ahead. Tell go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, go. Tell you. <laughs> I still remember. I there was a you had a party at your house in Williamsburg. I remember yeah. that was the first time I heard of Williamsburg, and yeah. I grew up in the city. Yeah, and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember uh, you had like an aluminum uh, 
house, like the house, I think you had aluminum siding or you, you like, oh, the, yeah. I remember the invite to the party was yeah. like, it's the house with the like blue aluminum side. I can't remember what color it was. And then you had yeah. like a map of the whole party, like what was like dancing yeah. down here, drinks up here, yeah, opium yeah, den yeah. up here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, uh, I'm going to Was it a smash party? Fact. No, that, uh, <laughs> smash parties were in New Jersey at Jody's place okay. with the garage. <laughs> but my place in Williamsburg, right? It was, um, I remember it was considered like a, it was off the Graham Avenue stop, which was like yeah. no man's land. Back <laughs> I lived on that stop for like years. That was <laughs> a, so it was Graham Avenue. It was, we were on Richardson street. Cause I remember this time and this, this again, this might sound like insider, but it was like my block or my, my street was like Christy lived one block away, one way, Christy Caracas, who right. created super jail and bomb masters and Dicko. If you remember this guy, I remember Dicko. He yeah. was an artist at MTV and we worked for Tidmouse and a bunch of others. He lived the block the other way. And it, that was our little, like kind of our like crazy scene was us. Like that was, I can't even tell stories of that time. What <laughs> was going on, but here was, this is the depressing thing. So this was late nineties. I moved uh, the very end of 99 into 2000 out to LA, but this was what I was doing. So I had a place in that area of Williamsburg, right off the Graham Avenue stop. It had a finished basement, first floor, second floor, third floor, and a backyard, right? So basically I had four floors and a backyard. I paid twelve hundred bucks a month oh for that place, <laughs> and you probably felt like, "All right, it's a lot." Yeah, it's a I little expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I lived on Devoe, yeah. off the Graham stop, and I definitely didn't pay twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, a month. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, and, it, and I didn't have a basement or any of that. Yeah, I had yeah. mine. I actually did have a backyard, but it, I had my yeah. little <laughs> spot, and it was a railroad. Yeah, yeah. not twelve hundred. Well, when were you there? I was there in when was I there, Ted? Two thousand sometime. Later, yeah, like yeah, 06, yeah. something like I that. I think that Later. that that those six years made all the difference. Yeah. Oh like yeah. Early yeah. 2000s the mid to late, is who yeah. Blew up. Mid to late. Yeah. I moved in the there 90s, in ninety seven. Yeah. Ninety seven it was still like where where the there was still <laughs> gun violence there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? That, <laughs> oh, no, no, rather gunplay. Let's call it yeah, gunplay. Yeah. <laughs> we used to go down on that the first L stop, um, you know, at Bedford. We used to go down to the water because they were all abandoned buildings. And yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. We would do daytime there. graffiti. Yeah. yeah, yeah you'd yeah. go there as a daytime there. spot and nobody bothered yeah. you, no cops or anything. There you were so probably like, fucking up the Vice building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was around that area where Vice and all that was. <laughs> it was all just the Wild West. It was, uh, it was a pretty interesting uh, spot. But you know what, I, Chris? Um, uh, I've been a fan, but I've, you're. You, you know, we talk about art and living a creative artistic life. I uh, feel like you've done it, meaning outside of like the studio and everything, everything you used to do, even if it was like, oh, going into your office at the time or you a birthday card or just something, it was always like creatively done. <laughs> you know, thanks, like man. even when I came here, <laughs> when I came and visited you in Austin, I was just like, even his house has this like vibe of fun creativity. (laughs) Thanks. Well, you guys are doing it too, man. You're doing it the most. I mean, I don't have time to fucking go out in the middle of the night and spend like 
hours painting a realistic painting of the 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 waves coming in. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's like amazing to me. Well, that's nobody. Ted's the only idiot yeah. who does goes and does yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, it's impressive. Hanging yeah. out on the beach with a headlamp. It's, it's not too bad. <laughs> that's pretty good stuff. Well, hey, Chris, you got to let us know what anything you have coming up. But I, I what, you, um, people could check out Titmouse, you know, yeah, for your yeah. shows because you have a ton of shows that you've done. Yeah. Right? Well, Midnight Gospel's on now. It's so on now. Check that out. Yeah, and That's going to be on for out. a while. Uh, the next show that's probably airing is going to be Tigtone Season 2 on Adult Swim. <laughs> That's oh, nice. a real fucked up show. That's kind of like in a D and D zone. Like nice. uh, it's got a kind of D and D kind of vibe, like weird fucked up fantasy. And that's all paintings. It's like that's got a weird vibe where everything, even the characters, are all fully painted, like rendered paintings. So we really? move around in After Effects. No it's got like a fucked up kind of like weird, like like uncanny valley kind of vibe to it. Oh, you guys yeah. would dig cool. it. And then uh, probably. The next season of Big Mouth will be coming out in the fall. That's on Netflix. Those are th- that's enough plugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hey, Chris, um, thanks for coming on, especially during these crazy times. It's it's yeah, good man. to hear that you guys are creating and making content for people, and keeping keeping animators working. Yeah. yeah, man, I'm stoked to be able to do that. And thanks, man. It's great talking to you guys. Great yeah, catching man. up. Please. <laughs> but um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, and you know, thanks for everybody listening. And 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 I I I really think people will find this really inspiring because it's just it's so much of what we do. But you see that it's even it's put in all these other places, and I think it's just it's nice for people to see differences. But it's kind of the same spirit. What, it's what, all the same i mean we're all like yeah. working our asses off and trying to do something great <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway chris awesome right talking on. we'll talk soon again likewise yeah all thanks right. chris thank you so much it's great right catching on. up and definitely if you're in new york give me a shout badass i'm well i used to be there all the time hopefully yeah we'll be back soon we'll be back, right soon. Be back. All, all right, right man, thanks, thanks everybody see you guys Later. bye bye how do we do it i'm gonna push the button yeah (laughs) later guys later Later. man